Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and joining us again to the show is Gerald Undone. The last time we had Gerald on the show was about a year and a half ago, and back then he was still growing, and I don't even remember where he was subscriber count-wise, but I feel like in the last year and a half he's really just become the guy, you know, the the main reviewer on YouTube with Cameron Gear. In fact, many YouTubers, myself included, have referenced him in our actual reviews because he goes to such an exhaustive extent to review the product and be as thorough as possible. It's been amazing to see his growth over the last year or so, and now he's sitting at around 250,000 subscribers, and I don't think he's slowing down anytime soon. If you're not familiar with Gerald, I would encourage you to go over to YouTube and definitely subscribe to his channel. And I want to throw this reminder out there again to those of you who are listening to the audio only version of this podcast. So we have a video interview on the Golden Hour podcast channel, youtube.com slash ghpod, where I do a whole interview with Gerald. He's in his set. He used his A7S III. It looks really great. We actually have a real video conversation throughout this whole thing. So if you want to go over to YouTube, that might give you some more value than just the audio only but obviously if you're driving in your car i don't want you to crash so hopefully you'll enjoy this audio nonetheless Gerald really is a unique force in our niche of camera reviews, and it was a real honor for me to have him on again. It's been a pleasure getting to know him over the last couple of years, and he truly is a good friend and incredible creator. So without any further ado, let's get undone. Gerald Undone, the one and only, for the second time on this show. Thank you, Gerald, for joining us on the Golden Hour Podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So last time you were on the show, I believe you came out for a Panasonic event. Was it the... What was it? Some sort Is that of what it was? That sounds I, right, yeah. What S1H was it? launch. Was it the S1H launch? That's I right. I think so, because it was, it was summer, yeah. Yeah, that was a fun time. Uh, Caleb Pike was also there, and uh, we all hung out and got to look at this new camera. And at the time, it was like mind blowing. We we're all like, "This may be what the A7S III will be." I remember, like, that was so long ago now, uh, pre-COVID world as well. So um, things were quite different. And even for you and your channel, I mean, it like in a long term, when you look at your career, it's it hasn't been that long. But in YouTube world, I feel like you have really just dialed in and created such an incredible channel. You've created such an, a new niche uh, for yourself, for our industry. And I think a lot has changed since the last time we had you on, which was about a year and a half ago. Well, you're far too kind. Yeah, I guess it's coming up fast, right? It's going to be like two years and just a few months since I guess we maybe last saw each other. I feel like. Yeah, it might have been something else no, after that, but yeah, I, I mean, I saw you at CES last year. Oh right, oh yeah, I forgot with about CES. Uh, Josh Yo and and yeah. you. That was a lot of fun. But um, I'm talking about this podcast. We remember I picked you and your uh, your partner up, and we drove all the yeah. way to Costa Mesa. <laughs> I in thought my that uh, I thought it was L- like t- the people told me it was in LA, and I thought it was just going to be a little thing. I didn't realize it was like a two hour <laughs> two hour drive on the highway or whatever. But it was fun. That was a fun trip. Yeah, and you brought your little purple LED at the time. I did. Uh, and you set it up, which was awesome. So, um, But yeah, I mean, a lot has changed in a year and a half for you. And all good things. Uh, the channel seems to be doing really well. And it's funny, like now it's almost like your name has become 
uh, an adjective like, you know, like, oh, just Gerald undone it or like, you know, other YouTubers referencing you because they don't want to do the the work or the research. It's like, hey, I got this new camera, but um, I'm not going to go over all the specs. Just go watch Gerald's video if you want that. Uh, today, we're just going to go jet skiing, you know, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but like, was that intentional for you? Or, or did you just kind of find like a passion in this kind of exhaustive uh, reviewing process? Uh, I think a year and a half ago, you were carving that path for yourself but it does seem like in the last year and a half you've really dialed in on that and have really done it successfully uh first of all thank you very much for all those kind words uh i guess you're right i think it's probably for me it was probably just week over week so slow i would like to actually just apologize for one thing though after all this build-up because my audio for your viewers <laughs> uh, and listeners isn't the greatest right now um my new studio, which some people might know that I moved into, it's there's a building next door that's still under construction, supposed to be done around April. So uh -huh. normally I don't shoot during the day or anything <laughs> because I, I wait for the construction workers to go home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you hear the odd strange humming or electrical sound or whatever, <laughs> I apologize. I'm doing my best to minimize it. Um, and this, and this uh, no money was exchanged in the process of this interview, uh, <laughs> and nor was this uh, episode sponsored by anyone. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's up to you, I guess. But if, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, thank you very much. The The truth is, yeah, it's it's been kind of slow and gradual for me, so I don't really notice it. Although recently, because I've been going back and uploading captions for some of my older videos, I am able to see a little bit of that contrast. But yeah, it was very kind of slow. I would say that it was late 2018, like late into 20, I don't know, November or something, December, when I decided to kind of try try some really really nerdy videos and see how they <laughs> how they went yeah and then for all of 2019 i guess it would be more of trying to incorporate those things into more functional videos and then 2020 i guess would be well 2020 was a lot of adaptation for a lot of people creators of and that kind of thing so you know there was but i would say then the latter half of 2020 and so far into 2021 i'd like to think that i've kind of I don't know, refine my style in a way in which it's easy for me to know what I'm doing even when I make a video. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, I know what the Gerald and Dunn style is now from actually developing it, so I can kind of just do a video like that. Um, but now I feel like it's more about expectations. If anything, uh, yeah. there's, a, there's an audience expectation. And sometimes, sometimes I don't want to make a Gerald Undone video. Sometimes I want to just make an easy video and I feel like I can't because of everything you just said, you know? So well, uh, you need to start a new channel. I call it Gerald Easy. That's a that's a great idea. Um <laughs> but no, true. I uh if you want to listen to our previous interview, I would encourage you to listen to it, especially if you're a new fan of Gerald, because in our previous conversation, we do talk about your past uh with your actual channel and how it's morphed and changed throughout the years and how you actually started out as a comedy sketch guy. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't so, say I mean, there's much success in that, but I did. Yeah, <laughs> but that's but that's where he's crazy comes from because <laughs> true. like it's kind of ironic when your your theme plays because you watch the video and you're kind of like I don't know he doesn't seem that crazy to me. <laughs> I lean into it now and say you know you'd have to be crazy to make the type of videos I make. But <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. the truth is it's just a vestige of a of a previous channel where it made more sense, but I'm sticking with it because it's catchy. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> and, uh, and what, uh, who's the artist who remixed it so beautifully and wonderfully and made an actual song that you can listen to on Spotify. What's his name again? Oh yeah. Omar Afundi or something like that. Yeah. That was recent. It was a few months ago. Well, he, 
We'll definitely include that song in the show notes in the description below. You definitely need to check it out because he is this incredible musician that like added melodies and choruses and like an actual beat to your song. And it was quite incredible. My kids were like dancing around the house singing that song. So I can say that Omar's quite uh, easygoing and stuff like when I've asked him to, hey, can I showcase your thing here and there? So I'm sure he'd love yeah. the exposure, but I won't speak for him directly, but I'm sure if you wanted to throw it in the video, you could edit it in based on, he'd, <laughs> he'd, be, easy, he'd be easy to get approval from is what I would assume, you know? That had to have been flattering to to see that. It's wild that it's on Spotify too. It's so, it's weird. So YouTube's <laughs> weird, man. <laughs> it is weird. And um, I don't know, here's the thing with you that I'm, anal- I'm really analytical about YouTube and it's something that I have become really passionate about over the, these last two years is figuring out the algorithm. And when I was working with Indie Mogul, I was just obsessed with, you know, watch time, click through rate, all the things sure. that people are talking about these days. And when I look at you and your channel, you've, you've really, I don't know if it's intentional and I, that's really the question that I'm getting to is that you've really dialed in on something that is almost impossible for people to replicate. And it continues to get more and more in depth. You, you get better access to things as you continue to grow. Brands love you. And I know this for a fact because this show is brought to you by Polar Pro. And <laughs> I have talked to people behind doors saying, oh, we love, you know, we love working with Gerald because he just like product people love working with you because you put the thorough research and time into the review and people who make those products you know, they spend years sometimes on these products and millions of dollars and some random YouTuber is just going to pick it up and make some sort of, you know, oh, this thing sucks or this thing's great. And they're not really putting the time and effort into it. And this person who built it has spent years developing this thing and, and you really put the care and time into that product and it, it translates through your videos. So you've got this great thing where Companies want to work with you. People want to watch your videos because you're trustworthy. And other people can't replicate what you're doing because it's such a niche within a niche. And it's really been amazing to watch. And every time you post a video, I know exactly what I'm getting because I've seen it time and time again. Every review, every product that you you talk about, you exhaust it to an extent that is so that it's also entertaining to watch. And I don't know, I I'm again, I'm sorry for like gloating you up here, but um, I'm just being analytical about it. And I don't know if that was intentional for you, if it was just something that you incrementally discovered over time. Uh, you're setting the standards too high now. If somebody's just watching this for the first time, like, <laughs> oh, I'll go check out his channel. They're going to expect like the greatest videos of all time. Like, yeah, he's all right. I don't know. I'll see what the fuss is. <laughs> no, I, um, I think because I'm, you know, I'm in this world with you. I'm, I'm your colleague in a sense. Like I respect what you're doing, and I'm analyzing what you're doing, and I find it interesting. And it's right in line with what Mr. Beast and other people are saying: is you want to kind of make a niche for yourself in a niche, and and you're doing something that other people aren't doing, uh, which makes you an anomaly in our industry, which is incredible. Well, I really appreciate the the kind words there. To answer your question, I guess. Um, to to a fault, it's building off of the previous video. So you know, if I if I made a video that did well, um, and I did f- twelve tests in that video, I don't know. 
then the next time I do a video on a similar camera, let's say, I'm gonna do those same 12 tests, but maybe between those two things, I learned something different that I'm interested in or, or something else that came up. And so now I have a 13th or 14th test. And then the next video, it's gonna be those 14 <laughs> plus new ones. And so it, that's why the videos have slowly gotten like longer and more intricate. It's because I'm trying to keep all the old, generally I don't throw a lot of stuff out. Um, there have been a couple things where these days I'm like, ah, I don't care about that anymore. And maybe I dropped that analysis or whatever. But for the most part, most things stay and just more things get added. Uh, and But I'm also noticing probably to a, a detriment that my amount of videos per month or whatever is also going down mm. because it's just I'm running out of time. <laughs> like to, I, can't, <laughs> I, I can't keep making the videos longer, more complicated and keep putting them out. Uh, as I said, when I was uploading captions for my old videos, I was noticing there was some months in early 2019, late 2018, where I did 7, 10, 12 videos one time in a month. Wow. And I'm looking at that now and I'm like, how did how did I even do that? I don't see how that's possible <laughs> because now I'm struggling to get like one a week done. Uh, so yeah, I mean, good and bad. I don't know. It, I, I, I'm not trying to unload as if like uh, life you, is really hard right now or whatever. It's just I'm, I'm having trouble finding that balance. I do, I would, yeah. I think I'd like to make some easier videos. Maybe I can alternate like pepper them in but there is that expectation mm. that i think that you like you said so well that you my niche is this so if i don't do that then what am i doing and i feel compelled to keep doing that thing but yeah uh it's getting it there th these videos are getting harder to make you know, <laughs> better or worse wow you've painted yourself into a corner as one would say um, i think i think so yeah and and uh, there's got to be a limit where they just you know they they can't get better yeah. Like, I mean, like, there's got to be a point where I just, like, I don't, I don't know how to make them any better, guys. I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is, this is what I got. So, like, maybe well, some that's, and that's when somebody else comes in. Yeah. And 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 then they they take over, and I become like a has been or whatever. I guess I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's the end. Yeah. I think you can look at other people, especially in the tech niche, uh, like Marquez Brownlee, and of course, you know, Linus Tech Tips, and how they've been able to scale such a, a you know, a te a nerdy, you know, niche. Um, and I'm, I can, am continually surprised by Marquez. I don't know if you saw his recent video. It was like my thoughts six months later on the iPhone or something. It was like an hour yeah. long video and like, it was so beautifully written and, and shot and he's just raising the bar again, you know, for his own content. So I don't understand Marquez. Like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand how it works. You know, I get really being like starting young you got that energy you know impossible and i mean he's still quite a bit younger than me probably like a good decade younger or whatever right so maybe a little bit less so i mean i i can say he's probably got more get up and go uh but at the same time i don't understand how he's how he does what he does for this long <laughs> yeah it's because it's i mean passion, he's, he's been doing sure. it like three times longer than i have and he's still I don't know. It feels like he's still got new stuff every time, new ideas. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got a Hats team around. He's got a team around him, and he's he's recently acquired more people. So, um, I know for me, when I upgraded, if you will, from Kinotika to Indie Mogul, working with a team of actual people really energized me and gave me motivation to go to work each day because it was like these people are actually relying on me to come up with some sort of idea tomorrow because they're like, Hey, what are we, what are we going to shoot this week? I'm like, uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Let's just come up with something. Um, I think that's the next step for me. It, like, I think I'm at a fork where I'll have to appreciate that either. I'm just going to sort of like find some kind of equilibrium of, I can do three to four videos like I've been doing per month until I die or whatever. Um, <laughs> or I can 
I can look at maybe yeah, bringing people on and doing something else if I want to grow the if I want to scale the channel more. And I feel like I'm kind of like at that fork now because the last few months, numbers wise and everything, it's kind of I don't want to say plateau as it sounds like a negative thing because I mean the channel's doing well, I'm doing well, everything's great, but there hasn't been much in the way of growth. It's been more maintenance. Mm. So I feel like, you know, I, you still gain subscribers all the time. But if you look at like, you know, uh, what your like say revenue is month over month, or or how many views you get collectively from all your new content and stuff like that, um, it's been you know only like a few percent difference uh, yeah. month over month. So it's like I could be okay with that and just kind of ride that out because I I enjoy it for the most part. But I would worry about eventually just kind of like trailing off in, in that sure. regard. Or like you said, find something to sort of like reinvigorate it, which I think at this point is probably going to come from people, probably not from like a new camera or something. You know, my the yeah. video I just posted uh, yesterday or whatever. Um, yeah, on the uh, on the fifty, the, right? The fifty mil, yeah, which is a great lens. Um, there was a couple people that commented, so maybe I was putting out a certain energy, which was like, Joe seems bored in this video. Joe doesn't seem that enthusiastic <laughs> in this video. And the reality is, um, I mean, I, I I tried to put pretty similar in, ter in terms of like Gerald and Dunn style and I think 95% of people would agree with that. I agree. Um, I, I watched it. It was great. But there is a certain part of me that's like almost the, the exact opposite. Of, oh, great. Another great lens. Cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's like there's a little bit of that. Like, I guess I got to test this thing. Um, and that sounds like it's like a, like a, you know, world's smallest violin playing right now. I mean, it, <laughs> not only because the gear is a, is a, I mean, how are we? How is every how is every camera and lens and everything so good right now? It's getting it's to like, a point where it's yeah, there it, it it's going to continue to. Sony's just crushing everything. Let's just be honest. It's really but you need you need you need things to complain about and want. I find it makes for more more like more passion. We're like ah, oh, this this was so good. If only they would have added. That was like our arguments two years ago. Everything was like if only it was missing this, and so it sucks. And then yeah. everybody's so energized. And then there's a new camera coming, and I was really excited because maybe they'll add that thing. And then since, I don't know, with like the C70, the A7S3, the A1 is an absurd camera. There's just all these cameras like, no, it's got everything in it. You're like, okay, well, so I guess we'll look at the differences in the 4K sharpness from what, like, it's, it's, what are we doing? What am I, what am I doing right now? You know, that's true. We're, we're kind of in a heyday of, of this mirrorless revolution. And, you know, I think if there's anything to complain about, it's the competition uh, with Sony is like. Canon, come on, let's make some new glass. Nikon, let's, you know, what are you doing over there? Like Olympus, what, you know, what the heck is going on with Micro Four Thirds, you know? Um, so yeah, maybe it's the brand, the lack of brand competition that's that's bogging me down. Because I, I like Sony, obviously, because like they, they've they got a lot of products that I use and, and have been enjoying. And a lot of my workflows switched over to Sony since the summer, I would say. I was using Blackmagic before that. Yeah. Um, but uh, without having... Like I, I guess what bogs me down sometimes is that if it's like I, I said in my most recent videos, like this is not a Sony only channel because I feel like my <laughs> last five videos have been like there was the A1, there's the FX3, it's like and they're and they're so similar and the menus are so similar and everything's so similar that that I feel like I'm just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. And the 50 mil G Master, I felt like my review was almost the exact same as the 35 mil G Master. It's just <laughs> it's like, like it's a different focal length. You go know? watch like, that one. Yeah, you get tighter. an extra you get an extra stop and it's a little tighter. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's like. Um, yeah, where I want to see, you yeah. know, yeah, like I don't know, Panasonic makes uh, an S1H Mark II with 
phase detect autofocus. I don't know. Like, I want something crazy to compare it to. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want something, like, to excite me. Or maybe just something wild that I'm not even thinking about yet. I well, that – you're – I so here's the thing I really really can relate to you and that's why I took a step away from from Indie Mogul and we did talk about this a little bit before we started recording. I felt like I got in a rut. I've been reviewing gear for 3 years now and I was feeling the same things you're feeling and I really had to kind of search myself and realize like what am what are the things that make me the most fulfilled or happy and the things for me over these last couple of years that were the most fulfilling were the comedy parody videos that I made. And I had more fun doing that than I ever had, like, probably in my life doing those. And I really realized, you know, I was a magician. I also played guitar. I know you're a musician as well. And I'm also a filmmaker. And YouTube is this beautiful blend of entertainment and video creation put together. And so for me personally, I was trying with Indie Mogul to pull more into that entertainment, like, corridor digital kind of thing. Right. Because Indie Mogul had this kind of history of it being a blend of education and entertainment. Um, But this niche is so serious that like, if you just make fun of one little thing, like you get ripped in the comments. And so I kept facing these issues in this particular camera filmmaking niche where I was trying to have fun. People just take it so seriously that I, I feel like I wasn't getting the response I was expecting. And so that's why I'm kind of taking a step back and may consider going into a completely new YouTube channel trajectory, just doing entertainment for everybody, you know? I could totally see your urge to do that. There, it is, there is this interesting thing of like almost like a contrived drama that occurs within the camera community that doesn't <laughs> need to exist. It's like, I almost feel like maybe that would be maybe something that would entertain me. It, it, like if I were going to make the odd trash video where it's just like, this is not a quality video, but if you yeah, if you want to see me ramble <laughs> on, uh, here's another video for you. I feel like it'd be fun to just kind of like make fun of uh, camera culture a little bit. Not so much in the same yeah. way that like camera conspiracies or whatever is doing, but more, <laughs> more of like... He's brilliant, by the way. We can both agree to that, right? But his is really like facetious all the time. This would be more like, it's no, this is cheap. real. This this yeah. is really what people are saying and doing. And let's let's laugh at yeah. how ridiculous these, how, how ridiculous exactly. the anger is or whatever, you know, because it's like, you know, I get comments all the time. Again, I should downplay this where it's only a couple percent. But yeah, where you get somebody freaks out on you over something and... and you know, you know, it's not. We're not even talking about somebody who lost money or anything here. We're talking about somebody who didn't buy either of the products, <laughs> but is just like and they're watching your theorizing, video for free. Yeah. angrily theorizing on two different camera systems that they don't own, uh-huh. but they're just like upset about the drama and like this guy said that, then you said that, so one of you's lying and one of you's owned by Canon. It's just like this whole like it's like what is going on? What is going on? <laughs> like when I when I when I start scripting a video. That's the furthest thing from what I'm thinking. Like my ideas are normally like, well, I guess I'll just I'll share with people. I have access to the gear for free usually, yeah. So I'll just share with people what to do and what to don't do, and uh, <laughs> and and then see see if that's useful to anybody, right? And yeah. so you post that, and somebody's like, you know, I don't like what you said about that camera. I hate you. You're ugly, and it's like. You're ugly. It's like why are you bringing what, my mama it, into this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What does it? What does it matter? You know, I'm just putting images on the screen and saying that's a thing. And yeah. if you're like, I don't agree with that, well, then that's fine. I don't know. You, it's it's funny. The well, that's, look, that, I get my kicks out of, out of making fun of that stuff. 
I guess we can kind of look to our forefathers on YouTube, like uh, Jordan Drake and uh, Chris Nichols, Kai Wong, Philip Bloom. Like, what have they been able to do for these last 10 years? I mean, Caleb Pike as well. I think he's been yep. on for over a decade now. Like, they've just remained true to themselves and they've continued to just push forward and have all all of those people have, have made a great career out of this. Um, so, yeah, I would just encourage you to just keep keep on chug, keep on a chugging. <laughs> Uh, you're doing a great job, but, um, I remember asking Philip Bloom at NAB, like, how are you able to do this YouTube thing for so long? He's like, I'm not a YouTuber. I'm a filmmaker and I just make videos whenever I feel like it. But so I guess, as you know, Philip Bloom is in a different league than, than all of us. Right. So, yeah, it's tough. I, I, I definitely play the YouTube game. So yeah. that makes me a YouTuber first and foremost, because I, I, I pay exactly. attention to and play the game. I'm not just uploading videos while playing a different game. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So it's harder for me, I guess, to feel a little removed from it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess. I guess. Yeah. It, it takes a bigger impact on me. So I've never. I've never really figured out the the perfect strategy. You know, if it comes to negativity stuff, there's strategies about how to comments and that kind of thing. If there's upload schedules, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff, and and I try different things, and I feel like when it comes to numbers, I'm I'm I've Maybe I've figured something out recently because I've been really happy with, you know, audience retention, the amount of views. I've, I've been doing, like, I would say, like, t- to brag here, the last few months I've been doing, been punching well above my weight based on, like, subscriber count for, for views, you know? Absolutely. I've, been... I've noticed. It's a pretty incredible. The The amount of views you get on a 20-minute video is much higher than channels with more subscribers. So people are, are finding your content and coming directly to you. I know for me, I'm just speaking from my consumer mind, not as your friend, but like literally, oh, new camera came out today. YouTube, Gerald and Dunn, new camera. Like there it is. Oh, cool. Okay. I, I'm just going to skip the press release and watch Gerald's video. And I know that I'm not the only one thinking that. So you really have done a, an amazing job at, at becoming this kind of force, you know, in our niche of That's educating really kind, people. Man. I'm just uh, I'm just telling you what I do as a consumer. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> and I've talked yeah, to. Uh, so I feel like though that th- that um, can you? It's can a lot you of do pressure for though. ten years. I don't no, know. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly that's the thing. Is like here, you know, here I am t- saying all this, but you're kind of like, okay, well, I don't want to do that forever. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I I totally feel your dilemma. That's why that's why I'm leaving uh, the, the niche. Hey, you're the worst person to talk to right now. But this, <laughs> <laughs> I talked to uh, the uh, Jesse Driftwood uh, two yeah. weeks ago, and he's in for the, the same, podcast. Yeah, for this podcast, yeah. yeah. Um, and and he's in kind of the same kind of situation as as you as well. I think we're all kind of growing and maturing on the platform. The the platform itself is maturing. And three years ago, there was there weren't as many people reviewing cameras as there are now. Like, it's insane. I just go on my home feed and, like, somebody else is reviewing something new that I've never heard of. I click the video. It's got, like, 30,000 views and they have, like, 100 subscribers. And I'm like, who's this person? Wow, that's actually really good. It's, like, shot really well and they have a beautiful set. Like, I've never even heard of this person. You know, it wasn't like that three years ago. People are starting to catch on that this is a thing on YouTube. Yeah, I feel like there was probably um, like different eras that come along. Like I stole most of my ideas of how to make a YouTube video from all the videos I watched, you know, um, and then was like, I, I would take those ideas and turn it into something. But uh, I feel like then 
me and a bunch of other people have been making videos for the last few years on also how to make better YouTube videos. And so now there's a whole <laughs> class of, of the new the new class, if you will, that like you said, could have really small channels respectively, uh, but are making videos on gear or whatever else that their videos start out looking like you know, end game for the previous creator's quality. It's <laughs> yeah. like that's where they're that's where they're starting their channel. Exactly. So it's and yeah, if you type in some sort of product into YouTube, the list isn't just like seven videos anymore. It's 10, 12 pages yeah. of results that are all, you know, like somebody holding the lens in like the same way or whatever. And you're like, I don't know which video you even watch. You know? and, they're all, and they're all high quality and they're all great. Um I mean yeah. I, I I feel like I started to feel like the old like you know, boomer that's going to get replaced in this platform soon. That's that's what I feel like. And like you said, it's only been like three years, but three years is a long time in, in YouTube years, you know? It is, but I think I think you're safe, dude, unless you really make a hard turn for something else, which I, I know that your fans <laughs> will support, I will support. Um, but because you're so um, hyper-focused on the research and on, on the education, that is what makes you stand out. And that's why, like you said, these last couple of months, your numbers have punched above your weight in terms of subscriber versus uh, view count. Um, yeah. Is that you really, like, yes, everybody's doing these throwaway videos now. Um, so it's it's not as easy for somebody starting out to grow like it was three years ago, just doing basic reviews. But you really have created your own little thing that I don't see anybody else replicating. So um well i appreciate it but uh now this is your show but we could change topics now so we stop talking about how awesome i am because i'm starting to feel bad about it <laughs> that's fine that's fine you don't do uh, compliments well i mean <clears throat> what are some <clears throat> so i mean you're you switched from black let's let's talk gear because we both sure. are gearheads um i'm shooting this on the c70 right now which right. has been a phenomenal tool for me doing this podcast as well as some of the client work that i've been doing recently um and then when i was at indie mogul i was using it a bit as well that's a great uh, camera i find it to be like kind of the perfect all-in-one for a YouTuber. It is a little big, um, and the autofocus yeah. isn't as good as the R5, which is really frustrating. I don't know why they don't just, like, synchronize the technology in that and the R5. I find it to be good enough, though, on the yeah. C70. Like, it's better than a lot of other video autofocus has been over the years, you know? Of course, and I'm, I'm using the face-only mode right now, which is fantastic, so it, it won't, yes. like, accidentally track onto this microphone, um, which I've had problems with in the past, but... You switched from Blackmagic to Sony uh, back when the A7S III came out. Made a big, made a big scene in the in the industry. Oh, Gerald switching to A7S. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but now, I mean, everybody now, like you said, is is either kind of on a C70 or an A7S. It seems, uh, or Blackmagic, I guess. But the A7S. Yeah, I think you're still you're always going to have your Blackmagic shooters because they do offer yeah. something unique. Price price to image qualities. Absolutely. Exceptional. It's, un, it's on, unmatched. That, yeah. Yeah. Especially now with the Pro. I mean, it's it's got a built-in NDs now, which is insane. So, um, But no, I mean, the A7S III is really the dream camera that I wanted like three years ago when I started my YouTube journey. The, I, I don't really see any fault with it other than I guess I wish it had built-in NDs, but, you know, I, I'm not sure, going to... Yeah. I'm not going to nitpick that that hard, but I mean, how has your <clears throat> experience been with the camera over these last couple months? And do you feel that it's kind of, we've arrived at this point where it's sort of the perfect camera for the most part? <laughs> for what I do, yeah. I mean, especially with this kind of stuff, like this is this is an A7S three shot here, and I got an A7S three here that I use for 
like you'll probably notice in my videos lately, I've been doing a different kind of B-roll where it's almost like a, a second tight shot right here on the table so I can kind of like show something or whatever. So That's those nice. are both A7S3s. Um, this shot up here is mixed between autofocus and manual focus, and this shot is always autofocus. And what I would say about the, the main shot is that I never think about it where when I was using the Black Magic, which I was really happy with the images, but there would always be kind of like, okay, let's check focus, let's get that right. Uh, oh, let me use the mini XLR adapter thing, get that cooking. What's the audio? Okay, we good. Like just sort of like, you know, get a couple things cooking. On this guy now, it's so streamlined that even for you just now when I started recording for this podcast, mm. I just walk around at the back of the camera, flick it on and press record. I don't even <laughs> look at, I don't even look at the camera. Maybe that's not a good idea. I'm not giving that as advice. Like don't look <laughs> at your camera, you know, make sure you got levels or something. Yeah. But I'm in a pretty fixed situation, so I know nothing changed. I'm the only one sure. that's here and touches anything. So it's literally just like I press record, I sit down here, and then I do my video, and I don't ever think about the camera. And then in edit, since July or whenever I – well, I think that was when I reviewed the camera. Whenever my camera was received and I yeah. started using it, I have not had one frame of missed focus ever. That's there incredible. hasn't been a single shot of anything. It's just kind of like it always does exactly what I want it to do. I've wow. done some tweaks on it. Like can we – and I've made videos like can we play with the color? Can we make this match that? Can we – let's yeah. compare the audio preamps and stuff. But these are all pretty minor things. You know, It's not a cine camera. Um, so but the FX3 have... is. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm using this the way that they made the FX3. I've got the XLR adapter on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep it kind of like locked off. I have things screwed into it. Basically, I could be using the FX3 and probably be like – in my case, I would have saved a couple hundred bucks because I wouldn't have had to get the thing <laughs> yeah. separately. But, but oh yeah, FX3 would, is fine here. But, but yeah, like you said, an NDs, yeah. whatever. Like you said, NDs and um, – yeah, and yeah, and, and, I ne and I never use the EVF in this situation because it's going to a sure. to an Atomos. So yeah, this is a perfect FX3 setup. But the point <laughs> is, I've been really happy with the results. When I when I got the A1 and started using that, though, I was like, this is better. Um, but I will say this, uh, I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I have an A1 now, um, but I'm not using it. In my videos, I know that doesn't make any sense at all. Because um, <laughs> I said in my video that I, I think I would rather have the A7S3 and the A7R4, but I had a situation where I was able to get almost all my money recouped on the A7R4, and nice. I figured the A1 would be I could make some more content with the A1, so yeah. I, I went in, I went in on the A1. Um, but it just it's just sitting on a shelf, and that's an <laughs> A7S3, and that's an A7S3. So. I, as much as I think it's a better camera, I'm not going to change my workflow right now to 8K or anything like that. Yeah. So even though I figured out a way and made a video of like how you could record a couple hours of 8K, I'm just uh -huh. I'm fine with with what I'm doing. So that sh that should be my this is a long winded thing to be my testimonials. Like I have the A1, and I'm shooting this on the A7S3. <laughs> like it's a good camera. You know? it's, it's a, a good great camera. camera. I know exactly. And I mean, we did being YouTubers and especially reviewing the the gear that we actually shoot the videos themselves on is is a weird meta thing that I think most people who watch our videos don't live in that world. They're freelance shooters, they're filmmakers, they're DPs, you know, operators. And imagine like being in that position. At least for me, I shot three hundred weddings in my career, like well over over right. the, since I was seventeen to my late twenties. And having a camera that has such amazing autofocus, 
would just have saved my butt when the bride's walking down the aisle and like it just locks on her eye as she's walking down. You could shoot it like F12 and like track her coming down the aisle and being able to shoot in a reception with the natural, you know, LED lights and the low light scenarios and cranking it to 10,000 and like having a tool like that as a documentary shooter is going to be just so invaluable. And just because it has incredible autofocus doesn't mean you have to use it either. You can still pull focus manually and be, you know, more creative with your focus, uh, shots and things like that. You can still do that, but having it there is just such a valuable tool. And, um, I'm imagining, you know, the people who watch our content using that thing in real life. I mean, it's gotta be a dream to use. Yeah. And I agree. Like you don't, I, I still manually focus quite a bit on the A7S3, even though I'm really happy with the autofocus, just because the shot, if it's like a specific detail thing, I don't want the autofocus to choose. I'm I'm actually usually really finicky about my depth of field. Um, I don't just go wide open and then let it focus on the closest thing and then get all that, you know, out of focus stuff. I am so specific. And that's actually been something that's been handy on the A7S3 is that I usually shoot at 12,800 or 16,000 so that I can stop down in sort of like I can have a moody environment and shoot it at like F5 uh, just just so I can like, maybe it's a product. And I'm like, I want to see, because, you know, lenses will have different depth. It's like, I want the font at the front of the lens, but I also want to be able to see the gears 60% of the way back on the lens. So like I'll set my focus point like two thirds of the way in, stop down F5 and having the, and so I do that with manual focus, obviously, because autofocus just decides where it wants to focus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so doing that and then having the the low light capabilities and stuff like that has actually made uh, for, I don't know if anybody's appreciating this, like if they could see the difference, but some of my B-roll, if you want to call it, that, I, I just call them more like little detail shots in my last like half dozen videos have actually been very specific. I've been really happy with like, little tiny little nuances in them again i don't know if i'm watching youtube on your phone if it's even going to matter but yeah it's just from being feeling like i have the i can do whatever i want with the depth of field and i'm such like very finicky with that and a7s3 has made that possible for me i guess other than shining way more lights i don't i mean lights are probably (laughs) better so i have i have enough lights in here that i could do it but hey just jack up the iso right this is not good advice (laughs) (laughs) well if you can why not i mean it's 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 pretty cool so um yeah it's 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 pretty amazing and i don't know what i mean what's next for for cameras in the mirrorless world like what's like a future tech that you see happening in in this world that can be anything i don't i don't think 8k is necessarily it I, i don't know is it is 8k the next frontier for these companies I mean, I think that this what 8K is, is so I, I, I'm not good at predicting wild innovative things. I feel like what I would think is going to happen and what I feel like I could predict reasonably well is kind of the next iteration on what we already know. So what I think you can extract from seeing what the A1 has done with 8K just from the R5's version of it, like just in that short amount of time. And then seeing what the A7S3 has done with that form factor, with that size of sensor, then you can start to draw some conclusions that what's next that I think people would be most excited for is that is that balanced camera that is able to draw from those flagship ideas. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the 
the famous A7 IV is what everybody's talking. It was the A7S III for years, and now everybody's asking <laughs> about the A7 IV. These cameras that I I'll admit I I have not had any kind of meeting about an A7 IV. I don't know anything about an A7 IV, <laughs> but we'll go with it. We'll call it A7 IV. Um, that's a camera that people think. Well, I saw what's in the A7S III, but I'd like the 6K sensor. Yeah, so, exactly. Well, you might be able to think, well, if they can do this thing with the A1 and they can do that with the A7S III, then, and then you start to come up with this sort of like um, compromised, balanced camera that you're just hoping. That's really what I think camera innovation is kind of about. It's that, that, that TikTok technique where you, you do something kind of ridiculous that's maybe a little bit unstable or a little bit unwieldy or a little bit too expensive. And then you reel it back in but you end up further ahead than you were before by pulling back a little bit on the crazy advancement. Yeah. So it's like that that big jump forward and then a conservative step back, but that step back is further down the line. And so I think that's what I'm most excited about is to see what the next, you know, slightly conservative pullback on the crazy things that we saw last year. Uh, what's the next like all-time best-selling balanced camera, you know, the A7 IV, or it could be any brand that does it. Yeah. But uh, what's that next thing where, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's what I want to see, you know? Well, and it's funny, I mean, we're talking a lot about Sony, but, like, it would be so great if Canon did that too. Like, I feel like the EOS yeah. R, for the time that it came out, it was very underappreciated, and I ended up owning, I think, two or three of them and and actually enjoyed it quite a bit as a, as a kind of all-arounder um, I was shooting 1080p quite a bit, but even with the 4K, I would just use like a Sigma 18 to 35 or something and just get away with it. Um, the A7 III was also kind of in that world. The Z6, I actually was shooting on the Nikon Z6 with the F-Log 10-bit on the Atomos for a couple of months, about six months, and I really enjoyed using that camera as well. I would love to see that from all manufacturers, and uh, you may know because of Twitter, like I am a... I, I think I'm officially an Olympus fanboy for some reason. Like I've become <laughs> an Olympus person, uh, kind of on accident because at the time there was no perfect like vlogging camera, and then the EM1X came out, and I looked at it and I was like, that literally it's ridiculous. I think it was three thousand dollars when it came out. Mike Four Thirds camera was that the one that was like that freeze proof. Yeah, it was like one big, it was like a beefy yeah Micro Four Thirds yeah. camera, but it it had like the best. Ibis in the world it had a flip screen. It had a mic jack that was like placed above the flip screen. So it doesn't get in the right. way of the flip. Uh, the color science was beautiful. It had the, phase detect autofocus. And it, so it, and like it had decent. phase detect autofocus and it was incredible. It had, you know, 120 1080p, which was good enough. A great 4k. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is, I'm, I bought it just to make a video about it. Cause I was like, this is the perfect vlog camera, but nobody's going to buy it. Cause it's ridiculous and stupid. But mm -hmm. in that process, I became a fan of it because there's so many other things about cameras that make you like them rather than just the specs. And I ended up discovering that I loved the compromise of the smaller sensor allows for these beautiful, tiny little lenses. You know, that Olympus has these F1.2 Pro lenses that are phenomenal, super sharp. The bokeh looks great. And they're like super small. They're a bit expensive, but I do like them a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, for, you know, remove the, if, if, if money is no object here. Yeah. That camera with those 1.2 lenses collectively, you're spending a few thousand dollars to get <laughs> yeah. that up and run it. <laughs> I think, yeah. And th that's the problem is like a Sony camera now, because the E-mount is so small, they've been able to make such small primes and such small, uh, full frame lenses 
that the argument that Micro Four Thirds is better because it's smaller, I feel like goes away out the door because those those Pro F one two lenses are bigger than some of Sony's full frame lenses um, of the equivalent focal length. But yeah, I do I, feel like I, I'm not one of those people that say that Micro Four Thirds is dead or whatever those like you know dramatic things are. But I would say that we're at a point in the development line where there's not really a need to put a lot more work into Micro Four Thirds. I, yeah. I don't see it anyway. I, I don't like. Um, I think that if you're already getting the results that you need with Micro Four Thirds, then have at it. I mean, they've had 4K 60 and stuff over there for a while now. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I just, I just don't see there being a, a need for putting massive like R and D and innovation into Micro Four Thirds when, like you said, we've already seen some pretty tremendous stuff happen with larger sensors without really any drawbacks. Well, the last nine, ten months have have shown that we can do it without many drawbacks so yeah unless your name is canon then there's plenty of drawbacks to be had uh, but i agree with your sentiment that anybody should do it so like the a7 IV could should be could be a canon camera and in fact if anything it might actually be better if it's somebody other than sony that does it first because we've already seen that sony can go on a bit of a rampage to kind of like try <laughs> to take back the spotlight or whatever so i would actually enjoy it if canon or nikon or somebody made sort of the perfect a7 IV camera yeah, uh, and then Sony or somebody else was like, "Hold on a minute," and then just like <laughs> went went bananas on development, and then we get that more. You know, everybody wins in that case. It, I don't think everybody wins when Sony's just dominating for <laughs> yeah. months on end. You know, I think I guess I guess Fuji in a weird way has kind of done that with the XT4 and that whole line with that new the the newer X Trans. I guess it's old now, but. Um, it really was a great kind of blend of like, it has kind of everything you would want. It's yeah, it's APS-C, but the X-T4 really gave people that kind of perfect thing. I have a lot of friends that use that camera, but you know, there's still a lot yeah. of issues with it though, unfortunately, but the X-T4 for me is an example of that. There's an extra quality to a camera that makes it or breaks it. For me, I don't know what it is. I don't love the X-T4. Uh, and it's not so much about the camera as more as it is like the language that it speaks and the language that I speak, they're not the same. And I just feel like <laughs> yeah. we're, yelling, we're yelling at each other all day long rather than get, getting yeah. along. Well, like a and light... Sometimes the, Go ahead. I was just saying, sometimes the camera where I do feel like I get along with really well doesn't provide all the, the tech that I want. And so, <laughs> like, I, I've had a love affair with Panasonic cameras since, I don't know, for a really long time. Some, when, when a Panasonic camera's in my hand, it just feels right, you know? Yeah. Um, that's but how I then, feel now about Olympus, which right. is ridiculous, but it's true. But I feel like for what I do specifically, I kind of have to chase where the where the tech innovation is and less the subjective of like, I like the camera. I do often say that, though, if two cameras are similar, I'd say if you have a chance, I don't know, rent them or go to the camera store and pick them up and buy the one that you like <laughs> using better because that's a better value long term. All I can really do is tell you which one looks better on a chart or something, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. The thing with Fuji, like I've used Hasselblad and Leica and all these kind of luxury, you know, brands. And I used right. to own a, an M camera, an old M film camera that was unfortunately stolen when uh, in my robbery. It was uh, a family heirloom, actually. My great uncle gave it to me from 1964. Big heart heartbreak for me, but um, that sucks, man. I'm I'm sure I'll find it. Like I'm I'm hopeful that because I have the serial number and everything, it'll just pop up on eBay one day and I'll buy it. So um, I'm hopeful that I can find it again, but. Anyways, uh, I feel like Fuji tries to kind of get into that world of like Leica and like with the, the dials and the kind of retro aesthetic, but it kind of, it misses the mark for some reason. Like a Leica Q just fits perfectly and that the minimalism to the Leica Q and, and a Leica M is like, it's, it's perfect. But then for some reason, Fuji 
kind of misses the mark for me with their kind of retro aesthetic. Yeah, I'd say I'm in the same camp. I know that some people love the Fujis and so all the power to them. But yeah, yeah. for me, I've always thought I think I would enjoy the Fujis more if they went more to a, to a design style that's just kind of like, uh, I don't know, how would you describe Panasonic's design language? It's kind of like practical it's, yeah but it's it's <laughs> ergonomic it's mo like modern modern ergonomics i guess yeah not like vintage appeal you know and so yeah. i actually think i'd like it if fuji took their tech and stuck it in more of a modern body that went more for yeah just kind of like it's well, they black did. they did right you know? the uh the s10 the s10 right is that what it's called like the f yeah you know you're not wrong but it, there's yeah you, you there was a little bit of fuji in there which is probably the right call you don't want to make a complete departure but yeah but no, I don't I know, I look, anyway, yeah. What am I yeah, talking about? Yeah, I mean, what, we're just two two guys talking about cameras. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Making up theories that don't make any sense, though. I'd like it if Fuji <laughs> made Panasonic cameras. What? What am I talking about? <laughs> then who's the, then? How is each company different from each other? Yeah. <laughs> well, there is this like interesting kind of backdoor thing going on where you know this, I know, and other people do too. Like Sony makes a lot of sensors for other people. Sure. And so I think, and I think Canon may be the only other person that has a sensor fab and obviously COVID took a big hit on everybody in Japan. And so there is this weird situation where Sony's not going to like sell something to another company that's better than what they have. So it seems like Sony's always ahead because they're the ones using their own tech for themselves. And, and then the, it trickles into everybody else's cameras. So yeah, but, like what you'd see with the A7 III and then the Nikon Z6. It came out afterwards. Mm, but know. there's but there were like little advancements and little tweaks to the Nikon that I preferred over the yes. A7 III like dramatically. So Sure, yeah. Yeah, like uh, the color science for one, the uh the I actually loved the Z lenses. They're they're really well designed and and well balanced on that body. Um, and the ergonomics of the Nikon camera fit my hand more comfortably. So yeah, I agreed. I enjoyed holding compared to those two, the A7 III versus the Z6. I preferred the the grip and the feel of the Nikon of those two. Now, what is it about hybrid cameras that that you get so fixated on? Like I'm also in the same boat. I I love using a hybrid. Um, where you know, for you maybe an actual true cinema camera would make more sense for your type of work, but it, it's great to have that. You know, yeah. Hybrid. I mean, you're not wrong. I, I was so I was so gonna buy the C500 Mark II, but then I was gonna get the C300 Mark III instead. But they just kept releasing new cameras every couple of weeks, and so <laughs> eventually, I guess if you wait long enough, a hybrid camera can do what last year's Cine camera did. That's um, true. I, I think for me, what it started with, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense right now with the camera that's shooting me, was the idea that because I used to make those rig building videos, and I would make them kind of like quick release technique so it's like I can quickly turn this back into a photo camera or quickly turn it into like a you know rigged video system and I liked that idea I thought I was getting more value for my money yeah where maybe I could take a hybrid mirrorless camera and rig it all out for say four grand where that would cost me six to ten grand in a cine camera but that four grand I can also flip it into a photo camera at no extra cost whenever I want yeah because I like taking photos um do you do that though? So, do you actually use it for photos? So now, well, these days, so I'm 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 luckier these days in the sense that I have more cameras, more cameras <laughs> yeah. than a person should have. <laughs> yeah. uh, so now, late the last like little bit when I was taking photos was the A7R4. Now I'll probably use the A1 as my photo camera. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'll, I'll probably just use the A1. You know? <laughs> 
Exactly right, and it's this is these are absurd it's sentences like... that I'm saying, and I, and I realize when people watch my videos, they don't have like unlimited camera access or lights or whatever. When sure. it comes to the gear that it, that I use to make my videos, like I could pretty much get whatever I want. That's one of the advantages of what I do with my channel. So instead, it becomes more of a challenge to try and think practically and assess value correctly, and it becomes actually more of a mental game. Where when I was first starting out, it was a real ordeal. Maybe that's why those new channels are kind of fun is because uh, if you have somebody who is like hustling and they're like putting all their money together to try and scrape up to figure out which camera they're going to buy, then they're doing that research that the average Joe is doing as well. But if yeah. you're like some big shot YouTuber, <laughs> and I'm not including myself in that category, where, you know, like uh, where you can just basically... I don't know, maybe you're an ambassador for a camera brand and then you get all the cameras of the, it makes it where the, how do you, how do you figure out value anymore for, yeah. for the cameras, right? So exactly. it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, but I do, I do take photos, just I don't have to have hybrid purposes for my cameras anymore. So I guess I don't really need hybrid cameras because each camera, just, just for convenience to make things faster, mm -hmm. each camera just serves a specific purpose, totally. which is kind of absurd. Like, that's my B-roll camera, even though it's a freaking A7S III with a Ninja 5 on it. It's like, that's, yeah. how does it only have one job, you know? Uh, <laughs> but that's the luxury of, of you know, the, the incremental growth that you've had and, and the access that you have to, to equipment. So, um, and it, for uh, being a YouTuber, speed is so crucial Absolutely. that yeah. um, any little thing that you can do to speed up your workflow is like such a massive uh, weight off your shoulders. And that's why, um, you know, everybody who's watching this video can see your your set is just turnkey for you to just be able to walk in, turn on the lights and hit record. Like that really makes a huge difference when you're creating content on the Internet for your job. So. And I said that multiple times, and I'd stick to it that uh, budget-wise, you know, if you if you've got some money and you're trying to figure out how to spend it, and you 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 do have like a camera and, and some lights and you can get things going, I would try and spend my money in a way where I could have a set, even if it's a even if you can just cut out a piece of your place where you can set things up kind of permanently, leave them there. That's some of the best money that you can spend because yeah, it will produce more content which in the long run will hopefully, especially if you're making evergreen content, will make you more money in the long run. So that's an investment is, yeah, investing in speed, production speed is, is such a good investment in, in money for sure, which is why I don't feel terrible about my kind of like camera configuration right now because I can easily just say like, nah, that I can make videos really fast. Well, really fast. They pay I can themselves make videos off. Yeah. Faster than I could. And so I feel like I'm making good investments into production speed, which I think is... Uh, and, I stand by that. Good investment. And again, like being in this niche is kind of this silly meta thing where if you use these tools for your channel f over a period of time, then you can make a video about, you know, my, lo my long-term review of these cameras that I've been sure. using. And then you can just sell them off and buy new ones, you know, whenever the new ones come out. And then you can repeat the whole process all, all over again. So the, the other way I justify that, Dave, is because uh, you know how often you're doing comparison videos or you're making a video about a camera or something. Oh, yeah. If I have, if I have, say the A7S III was like a hot topic camera for me. Well, if I have two of them, then one A7S III can shoot me while I demonstrate <laughs> things with the other one. Where if you only yeah. have one camera, which is what you get when you 
when it's like a review sample, it's actually a lot harder because I think, well, do I want to shoot my video on it or do I want to hold it? Yeah. <laughs> if I, and if I want to shoot B-roll of the camera, I have to use another camera to do that unless you like do some weird thing with mirrors like I saw Cody Wanner do or whatever. Uh, so yeah, if you have some content scheduled where you're like, oh, I could make like five videos on this, then having two cameras actually gives you some more... Um, <laughs> More creative avenues that you can pursue. This is so specific to videos uh, about videos, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like any, anything outside of that, it doesn't make any sense. But the amount of times that I've shot, like I have to have an extra Ninja Five on hand mm. just so that I can record the screen output, like the so I can record the on-screen display of a camera that I'm not even using. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But it's like maybe I'm maybe I'm here in this video. And I'm recording this video on the Ninja 5, but I want to show you the screen of this camera. So uh -huh. I need an extra Ninja 5 that I can hook up to, or any <laughs> recorder, that I can hook up to this camera to uh -huh. then record the menu that I'm, the menu I'm telling you about. It's like, it's <laughs> absurd. It's an absurd thing. And nobody would ever need that unless you were doing that specific thing. And then yeah. I find out issues and glitches that only occur during that. And then I feel the need to make a video. And then when I'm making that video, I tell people, now keep in mind, this issue will only ever come up if you are recording your menus for some reason, <laughs> you know, so all 11 of you to who this pertains, here you go. Here's some information on it. It's No, I, it's I appreciate weird. those little notes because it, it helps me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were coming up on an hour here of our conversation. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I did post an AMA on my Twitter. Do you mind if I read a couple of questions yeah, that people it. have had for you? Uh, so this one comes from our mutual friend, Sydney Diongzen, uh, uh -oh. incredible creator. He asks, uh, yeah, it's, it's nothing, nothing bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what would you change to help brands make it easier for creators to review their products? And I think he's coming at that with his own, you know, baggage of being in the same kind of world that we're in. If, you, if you're not familiar with Sydney, go check out his channel for sure. I think that right now we have this like the spectrum of brands that approach things totally differently. So I think my advice would change depending on what side you fall on for brands that are so like a brand like Sony, for instance, they seem to have a ton of re review samples and they send them out and, and they're all yeah. over the place where uh, on the other side, there could be some like I know in Canada with Canon, for example, I've had great difficulty uh, getting review samples because sometimes there's only one or something like the C70 <laughs> was very difficult to get to yeah. like if I'm trying to get it early to, to make a review before you can get one retail. Right. Yeah. Um, so my advice on that side would be. And this advice is also going to go to any brand that gives YouTubers a hard time, especially smaller creators, because I've been there and then I also read the stories and I can relate to it exactly. Reassess how heavily you value the this whole YouTube platform, as in like value it much higher than you do. Um, if, yeah. you're, if you're like an accessory manufacturer and you are trying to figure out, oh, should I send those $30 in parts to this 1,000 subscriber channel? Am I going to get a return on my... Stop. Yes. Send it. Yes, you will. <laughs> People watch YouTube. People watch YouTube like crazy. And if you've ever produced a commercial, if you've ever run ads yourself on Facebook, Google, or whatever, you are going to spend a ridiculous amount of money for your return on investment versus if you just sent some parts to some YouTuber somewhere who's going to yeah. make some video on it that's going to stay on the platform forever, by the way, <laughs> yeah. instead of like, you know, the week that you ran it on Facebook targeted. Uh, and then when it comes to review samples, keep that same logic in mind and 
maybe get a few more. You don't have to go Sony hard. You don't need to have like <laughs> where on launch day, you know, your feed is just like 65 reviews <laughs> or whatever of the same of the same piece of equipment. But if it comes to like a C70, for example, I would have liked to have seen five, ten. Is ten too much for a cine camera? I don't know. But a few more review samples. Yeah, um, it, it seems that Canon isn't fully in it the way Sony is for sure. And, yeah, um, and 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 then cycle it up a little bit too, so that uh, you know, obviously for me, I'd love to always have write a first refusal on a review sample. But I think it would be reasonable if. There was sort of like you. I think from a from an advertiser standpoint, you should get a little rotation in there where maybe this week they reach out to Gerald, the next week they reach out to Sydney, the next week they reach out to Dave. Uh, but assuming they have more than one of those, maybe they do like a dozen of those little rotating things, you know. And also constantly be looking at some new creators to 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 get to get to do your gear and just keep that cycle going. Grab some fresh audiences and that kind of thing. Um, I just I think it's overall just a more open attitude, and I do think there's a lot of companies that are doing this right, and uh, mm-hmm. and I'm not obviously I'm not talking about everybody, but there are still quite a few holdouts. I'm not going to name names, but they frustrate me to where it's like I remember I was doing a tripod roundup video, and mm-hmm. my channel wasn't the size that it is now, but uh, you know not to toot my own horn, but I've had a bit of a reputation for a while now of like you know. Gerald makes decent videos and and like it's worthwhile. And I couldn't get this company to send me a sample tripod just to include in my roundup uh-huh. uh, without like forms and wanting edits on the video and just like all this nonsense. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me, you know? So I just yeah. I just didn't include it. I was like, I can't afford to buy it. I'm already buying all these other ones. I don't make any money on my videos really at that point. So yeah, yeah like if you're the type of company that's like, I don't know, sending out a tripod. That seems like a st- just get out of here. Send the damn tripod. You know, like that's that's my advice. Like what I don't know. Anyway, hope hope no. that, that was helpful, Sydney. We ranted for a bit there, but you're so right. I just talked to Josh the other day to congratulate him on the success. Joshio from Make Art yeah. Now, uh, the success that he's had on his product, uh, the Marble um, Orbit. You know, thing. Uh, what what would that be called? I don't know. It's, it's like called a- the Marble Orbit, but yeah, it's a. I think he calls it some sort of like like a dolly kind of video, but it's a it's a three sixty rotating motion control mm-hmm. device basically. It's like a that, like a three sixty slider. And I I reached out to him. I was just like, dude, congratulations! The video is great. Looks like everything's going well. And he gave me a call and he said, dude, I sold out the pre orders in like under an hour. And he, yeah, it's crazy. You know, and he's like. And I told him, I was like, dude, you're, you're stepping into the next level of what influencers are going to be doing, which is making a product because we have the power. Like these companies don't have the power that they used to have. Like all the, we're making, you're making all these videos for free for all these companies, which is essentially free marketing for, for Sony or for other companies. And once I think other influencers and creators figure that out, you can start to really monetize that. And you look at, people on the very high end of things, you know, Mr. Beast doing uh, Mr. Beast Burger and Finger on the App and these different things that he's created that are outside of YouTube. And like, I think the Finger on the App is an app he made where you hold your finger on it. The last one to let go wins like $100,000. It was number one in the App Store uh, within 24 hours. Like the power that these people have is is insane. And um, yeah, I think companies just need to recognize that. And uh if they and there's also a power from like a this is something I've always wanted to talk about, but I don't really talk about much, so I'll just give you like a brief version. Yeah. But 
it can have an influence in a weird way on the channel. So for instance, often I think people think that maybe I have a more, like a deeper connection with Sony in some way. Like I'm not a Sony ambassador. I would, I have such thorough disclosures. I would have to tell you if I was a Sony ambassador. What yeah. happens instead is that if a company is very good with like, they have a good marketing team or something like that, and they're good with communication, they're good with getting samples, they're good with like checking in, seeing if you need anything to help produce the video, like, oh, you need more batteries, or you need you need a grip or something, you know what I mean? Like if you have a company <laughs> like that, that's willing to like, or if you're like, I'd really like to compare mics, like, okay, we'll see if we can get you an XLR module. If you have something that's like willing to facilitate your videos like that, you're just naturally gonna make more videos about that company because at the same time, like I consistently have like a dozen email threads going on at every time with Blackmagic, Nikon, Sony, Canon, Panasonic, just constantly going on, what's next? How can we make this? What's the next project? What do you? And if you see just video Sony after Sony after Sony on my channel, it's because not only were the emails working out, but the shipping was working out. They had the logistics figured. They have new products to discuss. They were able to get them to me in a timely fashion. They were respecting yeah. my work schedule. So the more successful a company is at working with YouTube channels, they'll just get this kind of like marketing boost in a sense where like you say i'm just over here making free videos that promote sony all the time <laughs> and it's only just because like i want to make videos and they're facilitating that indirectly by providing me with the tools to do it even though they're not compensating me in any way you know so it's yeah they're, they're giving you the content the, the topic to talk exactly. about but uh in return you're giving them a massive value and i i remember this was about two years ago when still most companies including sony were poo-pooing the kind of selfie screen the autofocus you know putting a mic jack on it like all those types of things that you know back in the casey neistat era the only camera that was able to do that was the add right. you know and that was what everybody was shooting on at the time with uh, vlogs and stuff and it seemed like it was this struggle of like nobody's making cameras for youtubers it's like this this pain point and sony kind of figured it out i think it happened uh, around the camera camp time, it seems like with iJustine and they started to really take notes. And then all of a sudden we see the ZV one, which is like the perfect yeah. vlog camera. And then we see a flip screen on the a seven S I, I heard, you know, rumors that the a seven S three was finished at a certain point. And then they basically went back to the drawing board and, and re retooled the whole thing. Um, and I think it's wise to do that. Like, obviously, a lot of freelancers don't necessarily care about a flip selfie screen or mic jack placement or things like that. But if you make the YouTubers happy, they're going to praise the camera on. It's like a weird thing. You're kind of making it for the YouTuber to review it, to give it a positive review so that people buy it. Like it's a silly thing. I think it's which then which then sells more cameras to the people who are watching those videos, and exactly. then the people who buy their cameras might make videos about the camera <laughs> they just bought. So just like a ripple effect, where exactly. then all of a sudden the A7 III, I think it was, was like the best selling camera yeah. or whatever of all time or something from Sony. <laughs> however, it worked well, the, right, and it's like there you go, you created that ripple effect, you know. And the, I think the number one selling camera from Canon is still the M50, which is so funny. Uh, that camera still stuck around, but it was a great YouTube camera. So. So I guess there's the advice to bring it back around to the question is, <laughs> you know, you got to create, you got to create that effect yourself. <laughs> well, yeah. And even if it's not for YouTube, make products or make them have a strategy that involves yeah. helping YouTubers have content because mm. a lot of people just want interesting content. You know, they, they want to make a video that's unique or whatever. So if, if you can facilitate that using your brand's equipment, then 
I don't know. To me, it seems like a no-brainer, but maybe it's just because I see the back end. I see all the numbers, and some of those want to scream at these companies. It's like, <laughs> you're going to make so much more money than you would doing, like, uh, versus return. You're going to have such a better return on investment than yeah. some like conventional a, marketing, you know? Like, well, like, imagine if Nikon just all of a sudden put a flip screen on the camera and made the perfect YouTube camera. Like, it'd be like, oh, what? what? Nikon's on the map now? What the heck? You know, like... And even um, if nobody liked it, there would still be a ton of videos that were like, does Nikon have the best vlogging camera? Whatever. That, 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 that content would be everywhere. You know? I know, exactly. So. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, moving on to another question. At Jan Felix C1974 <laughs> asks... Sounds like um, a bot. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I'm assuming that it's maybe 1974, maybe the year that he was born or something. Circa, circa 1974, circa, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, do, would you ever consider showing some of your film work, maybe a short film or something like that? Do you have any plans to do something like that? Or is, is that a passion of yours that you would like to get into potentially? Um, so uh, I don't have anything that's like high art films of like i mean outside of like you know little little pretty montages that you make for this and that but anything narrative uh i did like corporate promotional type of content and then i made uh like terrible uh videos that like i mean the quality <laughs> was kind of terrible too but where they're they're literally designed to make a small group of people laugh uh -huh. um and those aren't things that I would want to share. So the things that I actually did share, they're they're dry, man. They're super dry, like, you know, promoting a restaurant or something like that, you know. They're okay. Like, quality-wise, they're fine. But they're just, like, there's, I don't care about them well, at all. beyond what you've done in the past, like, just future-wise, is future? that something that you would like to pursue, potentially, is getting into narrative or, or shooting a, a comedy sketch or, I don't know, just... Is that something that creatively you want to scratch that itch or not? You know, I really, I really don't know. At this moment, the answer is no. As far as like thinking forward, I feel like, I feel like if I were to go into that, I think I'd probably want to be more in the writing side of things. I think. You're um, you're, you're a funny guy. You got a, a great sense of humor about you. A very dry sense of humor, but it's great. So thank you, sir. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to like. I, I was thinking like if I was if I was on a, a big production what job would I want? And I don't think I would want to be the camera operator. I mean, I could maybe see myself wanting to do the cinematography a little bit, just like, just to, you know, work just with the light. nerd out a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would also, I would rather see myself probably either wanting to like write, like be the writer, which is not really, you know, involved in, on the actual, well, no, I mean, but yeah, either be the writer or... Directed. I don't know. I, so I yeah. before before I did YouTube, I directed here in Nashville. Did multiple music videos, commercial projects, and was fortunate enough to get a couple of you know labels that hired me to direct some like high budget music videos. And it was a ton of fun, like having a crew and like having a, a game plan and a storyboard and working with a DP and having this like overall vision in a collaborative environment. Like directing is a blast. At least to me, it was. I think what I'd actually like to do, which doesn't fit into the regular production idea, is um, maybe be more like facilitating a creative kind of situation, either like like get a creative space and yeah. then facilitate other creators and create like that. access, like things that I've like I've become like really good at, like whether it's from working with brands or, um, you know, when it comes to like, how do you get started, get some tech tips and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Like, I feel like I could help 
other people yeah. realize like maybe their creativity a little bit more. Like I feel kind of like I actually think that the create the creativity thing is sort of a problem with the particular part of YouTube that I'm in because I do everything from such a technical standpoint now that I have trouble like looking through the viewfinder from an art perspective. I, mm. I look at it to see like so I think I would need some time apart from what I'm doing now to sort yeah. of like get back into a creative idea. So if I had to launch off directly from what I am now, I'd want to use the skills that I've learned from this last couple of years of doing this to maybe help other people have a more streamlined opportunity for whatever it is that they currently have going on with their art creative thing in their head. I feel like I could help other people. And I actually think I get more satisfaction from seeing other people succeed than I do from myself, to be honest. Um, yeah, I noticed that every time I complimented you, you like flinched. <laughs> I don't I don't know what it is. Like if somebody else, like the the compliments that I really like, I guess, are the ones where it's like, the comments that make my day, you know, hey, I watched your video and then I had success with this or this video really helped me in this regard or like, I, you know, I just did a shoot and based on your settings or based on how to work with this, I, my, my S-log's coming along a lot better. I feel more, those sorts of comments are great. That's, I guess that's probably what I want to do is just. Yeah. Uh, just help people. Yeah, help other people unlock their potential. I feel there's a lot of better artists out there than me. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, like, I think I have a little bit of, like, a little bit of art in me, but I think, like, my brain is so dedicated to this other side that I have trouble unleashing the art where there's other people that just have, like, so much artistic potential. Yeah, like, like Josh, right? Josh, yeah, Josh just... is a great, great example of somebody with a lot of artistic potential. And, yeah. you know, Josh calls me all the time to to do nerdy stuff so that he can get out there like like he you know debriefs nerd wise with me on the tech stuff and then he gets out there and unleashes the art so yeah, exactly. I'd love to do something like that but maybe with some like some more up and coming <laughs> kind of people you know you're a nerd counselor <laughs> like, nerd counselor exactly there you go it's like <laughs> hey I, I need to come to you to talk about nerdy details because nobody That's else right. will listen to me Get the nerdy details out of the way so I can make my masterpiece, whatever it is for that person, you know. Yeah. I'd love to do that. And if I could facilitate, you know, uh, maybe a space and, uh, yeah. and get, I love provide that. some gear and stuff like that, I think that'd be cool, like a creative space, you know. I think there's nothing wrong with that, and I want to affirm that idea because I think there's this kind of stigma, and especially in our filmmaking niche, where it's like, it's all about the story, it's all about the film, and that's true, absolutely, when you're making films. But in, in our case, or especially in your case, the story is the product and you're, you're telling a story cohesively beginning to end about that product, but you're also talking about details and it's a, it's a nonfiction book, if you will. It's not a fiction book that you're making. Um, so there's, there is structure to it, but um, I really enjoyed becoming a YouTuber and, and doing that compared to when I was a director. Like I really thoroughly enjoy it and there's nothing wrong with you know, one or the other, it's just a different, different thing. So, um, Javier Mercedes asked, can he give a simple fifth grader explanation of what S log profile is versus standard or no profile as it relates to how a gamma curve is applied in camera? So I, it, I think what he's yeah. basically so asking it, is like, what, you know, what's the difference between doing it in camera and just throwing a LUD on it in post, you know? Um, it's basically a, a different curve. I would, I mean, that'd be the easiest, <laughs> easiest way to answer it. Is that uh, this is going to be half not true, but I feel like the half not true part is to set up the fifth grader easy stuff. Yeah. But if you think of like um, the way that an image exists in the ether versus how it's displayed on your TV, 
the person already mentioned gamma curve, so they have they have an understanding of how gamma works. Sort of something needs to be applied to it to sort of translate it to make it look like a reasonably decent image that you would want to look at. Uh, you can apply different translations in there, I suppose, that will make the image look slightly different. And what they do is they they change basically like how final deliverable the image is. So, you know, some people's like standard, I guess, would be a pretty, you know, I guess like that's why we have terms like Rec 709 or Gamma 2.2, 2.4, those kinds of things. They're based on like, what's your display going to look like? Let's make it display correctly and, and look finished like that. Well, you can not do that. You can have it look like some sort of intermediate kind of washed out kind of thing with the intention of maybe manipulating a little bit further in post, I suppose would be the, the sole purpose of that. So that's what it is. It's like it's like a different a different curve than those other ones that were mentioned in the question. What I would suggest the person does if they want to look deep into this, um, uh, I think, I don't remember what the page is called, but if they want to Google this, it's uh, if you Google something like Sony Basic Contrast Help Guide, let me check. Their first link says help guide for creators setting basic contrast. And if you read through here, it'll show you every single one, like movie still. S oh, S Cinetone's been added in there. Cine nice. 1, Cine 2, S Log 2, S Log 3, HLG. It's got uh, graphs of the different curves. It's got where their, uh, you know, clipping point is. They're, just read that and then mm. you'll be like, oh, great. It's, it's a pretty easy read. Um, but... Yeah, I, th I think for, uh, for a podcast, I feel like that's about as like thorough <laughs> as I should go. <laughs> so basically, uh, Javier, uh, Gerald in fifth grade was a little smarter than most. So um, <laughs> oh, I guess I didn't do the like. The... <laughs> yeah, whenever they say like explain like I'm five, you're supposed to be like. So say you got two apples, right? <laughs> and Dave comes along and takes one of your apples and takes the big bite out of it. <laughs> yeah. No, how many apples? Do you... Yeah. I don't know how to do those explanations. And if I did, they would be so abstract and make no sense at all. You know, I don't get it. This Apple thing is more confusing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dave Postcolor Gear asks, uh, was he ever in a band? Did Is that something that you ever wanted to do as a career path or is it just a hobby, music? Uh, you know, I, I never was really in a band. I like jammed here or there, but never had a band where we came up with a name and we played songs or anything. Mm. Um I've always treated music as kind of like a relaxation thing that I do pretty much for me. I know that uh, Dave there, I upload the author to Twitter and he kind of like puts a lead over top of it and then replies back to me. We've kind of had a little bit of back and forth, so that's probably where that question came from. Um, but uh, yeah, for the most part, it was, you know, just started with me wanting to play guitar, wanting to play piano um, and using it just as a way to kind of relax. And then even still now, it's like my primary de-stressor. So people have been like, oh, why don't you do that for YouTube? Why don't you do this? I, I don't really want to associate it with work or put any kind of pressure commitment on it. Even though for some people, that's really fun for them. They're getting together with a band is really fun. But for me, it's kind of like a private, not private, but like, it's like, you know, Gerald just sits on the couch or something and just plays guitar for himself. Yeah. That's That's kind of where I'm at with it, you know? Same exact same thing here. Uh, although I wasn't a band in high school, and uh, but recently I've I've purchased some new guitars. My dad's a music producer, so I grew up around music my whole life, and uh, so yeah, I can I can totally relate to that. It's it's a wonderful thing to just kind of play scales or just kind of riff on different songs and stuff. So um, yeah, and it's actually worked well in contrast to this YouTube thing. Um, it feels like the exact opposite in a way, which I like, which is that. 
we're doing all this technical stuff here. I'm, there's pressure on and recording videos. Everything we've discussed with this entire podcast. Mm-hmm. The opposite, I think, from my brain to that is to just grab the guitar, sit down, and just fiddle around. Yeah. It feels like the complete opposite. So I feel like I get to give the whole that whole other side of my brain like a break, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I would I don't think I'd ever want to mix those because I do like that I can give myself a full break now with music. <laughs> I do like posting the odd one to Twitter. Yeah, uh, it's fun. Just to like, here's a little little lick or something like that, you know, or like get people to guess. Maybe maybe I was playing some. Actually, usually what happens is I was playing guitar or something or, or piano, and uh, I'll stumble into a song that I used to know how to play, and uh-huh. then I'll kind of like piece it back together, and they're like, "Oh, that's funny." It's like I wonder if anybody knows what the song is, or if anybody listens to the song anymore. So I'll record and upload to Twitter, be like, "Anybody know this song?" And then that's when Dave like plays some kind of lead over top. Of it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, exactly like it's important to have kind of a creative outlet that's a place for you to that is for yourself. I and mean, there's no expectation on it. It's just something that that you have. And, and it's ironically for me, YouTube used to be that. And then it became my job. Um, and so you kind of have to find other things almost yeah. to to become that outlet. So um, and then the final question is from Kevin, basic filmmaker. Um, who still has his his YouTube channel hacked? So we're hoping, Kevin, that YouTube solves that for you. I thought it got resolved. Uh, it sucks. Did it? Did it? No, I don't know. I thought maybe it did, but maybe I'm mistaken. Okay. If maybe... it didn't, then then I I'm wishing him a speedy. Well, it's not speedy anymore. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't sucks. know. I'd... I'm feeling for you, Kevin. Um, he asks, uh, what is one or three things, <laughs> one or three things, uh, <laughs> not two, never give me two, <laughs> uh, in your opinion that, that are critical to the growth of, of your viewership and your channel. And if that would apply to, to others or not. So yeah. What, what are some, you know, just give me one thing, uh, if you happen to have more, but what are some critical things that you've seen ha- have caused growth for you and your channel over these last two years? Well, obviously what we already talked about, which is that, you know, carving out a niche thing, being being known for something, hopefully you can get to the point where people do like what you said, where, oh, there's a new thing. Let me type for that and put a suffix of Gerald and Dunn in the search <laughs> results or whatever, you know, that's great. Yeah. But I feel like maybe some smaller things you could work on is branding is a one that I found to be pretty successful. Um, there's always lots of conversations about how to... Uh, you know, make thumbnails, how to title videos and that kind of thing. And I don't consider myself to be an expert on either of those things. I would say my titles are generally drier than the average YouTube and my and my thumbnails don't have anything too exciting. You know, I, I suck at clickbait and that kind of stuff. But what I do do is consistency. <laughs> you said, you said do-do. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, but what I, you do do. What I do do is... Uh, <laughs> Practice consistency and trying to sort of be recognizable in some way. And I feel like that's because the, we keep talking about how YouTube has a lot, a lot of everything on there. So yeah. um, if you, you know, I, I made fun of, but I mean, also, you know, my love goes out to my fellow creators out there. We all know the hustle. But if I type in 50 mil F1.2 G Master into, into YouTube, I'm going to see a lot of two things of the lens held in a certain way or the lens held out in one hand or something like that. And I find that the color palette is very similar. And so I can scroll through and I get kind of overloaded with thumbnails. And then there's this weird Gerald and Dunn thumbnail there where there's like purple and orange lights on it. There's a table and there's nobody in the shot. There's no hands, there's no faces. And it's like oversaturated and way too contrasty and stuff like that. Um, And it stands out to me. And then when you actually give the video a try, there's a certain 
quality, I guess, to my videos that, as Dave pointed out, is uh, somewhat consistent. And so, I mean, it might be sort of a slower grind to building your subscriber count in terms of growth that way, but you can grow a more reliable in the other metrics. You can get yeah. like a watch time that's consistent. You can get a revenue that's pretty consistent. You can get uh, like a click-through ratio from your subscribers that you do have in a pretty consistent way. And you also get a lot of shares and, uh, you know, it, actually here's a dirty trick. Make videos that make other people with big followings help them because they'll share your videos. <laughs> yeah. And the next thing you know, the majority or like everybody that you follow on social media, it turns out they follow you too. And you thought <laughs> like, and then you end up just getting all these like shares and stuff of like that. One thing about my content is I generally try to put a little bit of content in there that's useful to other YouTubers or to other content creators who then share your videos a lot. And if you're the only person with the answer, your video will be the one that rises to the top. Exactly. And if you do that three to, if you do that like say five to seven times, which might be a lofty goal, but if like, if you can like five to seven times have your video be the one that rises to the top because everybody talked about it, you will have just growth out of nowhere that doesn't make any sense. And it's I think there's some sort of psychology thing there where people sort of need to see you a couple times to be like, oh, right, that, oh, that, oh, that guy came up again. You know, oh, I've seen her around. She was recommended four times or something like that. And then it's like, then it clicks uh, in me like, well, I might as well just watch all of her videos or watch all of his videos or whatever, you know, exactly. like, until they subscribe to you. So there's, there's ways to kind of game that, I guess, to make that Absolutely. happen. So I don't know. That's what I'm trying to do where it's like a Gerald and N video is recognizable and it gets shared by the people that you know. So it kind of validates it. And then it's familiar when you actually do watch it. So it's comfortable. But my I subscriber agree. growth isn't isn't huge compared to channels that take off. Well, it's cheeky. I've, I got one more thing for you, Dave, and then I'll then I'll shut up. But no, uh, no, you got you got me on a show. hot topic. Uh, I love it. No, it's your I'm pretty sure it's your show. Um, <laughs> You're the guest. You're the guest. Uh, a cheeky little thing though I've learned that actually does work um, is hate it or love it or hate it. Asking for subscriptions actually does work. So once you've done that, those <laughs> yeah. other steps that I said, and you've kind of built a little bit of a, you've built good views. And now you want some more subscribers, find a, a a good way in your video to actually be like, oh, and you know, I, I try to do it with like a certain bit of like genuine honesty to it, where I'll say, you know, these views are doing great, and but only a certain percentage of you guys are actually subscribed. So why don't you subscribe and we can grow the channel a little bit? And then you watching that video gets like seven times more subscriptions out of the other video. So people actually do subscribe if you provide <laughs> them value. But you, and asking for it does help is all is all I was gonna say. So if you got all your other numbers working out well, but your subscribers aren't growing, periodically just honestly just <laughs> ask them to subscribe. Yeah, it's and you uh, along with Potato Jet have. Uh, like hacked the the engagement as well um from a very early stage you had this brilliant idea that now if anybody steals it it's kind of obvious but it's the you know i'm i'm gerald undone and my underwear smells bad you know whatever it is um you <laughs> have this... had that one yet <laughs> <laughs> what was the last Somebody's, one that somebody who listens to this is definitely going to go comment that on one of my videos now <laughs> yeah. and i'm going to see it and i'm going to know what it's from <laughs> And you're going to have to say it on your next video. Um, 
but no uh i think the last one you did jacques uh jacques jacques slade uh yeah. commented and said what do you say my s log s log since i've seen you or something like that <laughs> that's, that's a great one um yeah. so people come up with these great puns and it's that's how you start each video and it, it encourages people who maybe don't have a comment to about the product you're reviewing that just want to get involved and they want to see their comment chosen and they're cheeky and, and meme yeah. you know related they they want to throw a comment in there um that was a really brilliant thing and potato jet would read comments at the end of yeah. of his videos um i think this is something we talked about in our previous conversation how you kind of came up so. with that but um it's a brilliant way to, to hack it but um listening to mr beast and studying him and what he's done he has said he's like at the end of the day like comments likes dislikes like they don't really matter even subscribers don't matter it's really all about if YouTube shows your video to somebody, do they click on it? And once they click on it, do right. they watch till the end? Like, that's really it. It's it's that simple. Um, so, but it, that is not a simple task to, to achieve uh, for sure for most people. But um, anyways, I feel like we've, we've chatted a long time. I really appreciate your time. Um, thank you so much for coming back on a year and a half later. Um, you've grown so much and I feel so honored and, and fortunate to call you friend. And, uh, I just want to continue to encourage you. I've along this, these last couple of years, I'll, I'll watch a video of yours and, and usually shoot you a message and just try to give you some encouragement. Cause I've just been so, um, impressed with what you've done and inspired as a creator as well. And I feel like you've really pushed this, uh, niche forward and you're, you're, kind of raising the bar for all of us making us try to think about like how can i actually do this product service and actually review it properly and everybody's different and they're just because there's um because you're doing this doesn't mean i can't do something else like there's plenty of room for everybody um agreed and this 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 niche is not too crowded it is getting more crowded but it doesn't mean that there's not room for someone else um to come out of nowhere and blow our brains just like you have so um i just want to continue to encourage you to keep pushing forward and uh experiment have fun have fun with it too if you're getting kind of bored like feel free to experiment i think people are willing to to see that you have a lot of fans now who are just along for the gerald ride so if you're getting bored like do something that you you want to do for fun just see what happens Thanks so much, Dave. I really appreciate you. And and you're right. I mean, I've noticed that you've been pretty encouraging all the time on like social and messages and stuff like that. I just want to say that uh, I, I do appreciate it. It means a lot. And thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. You, no you, you build me up. I appreciate you. <laughs> of course. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, everybody go subscribe if you haven't already uh, to Gerald Undone. And uh, I guess our our listeners and viewers have officially been undone. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to the end of this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and your podcast player of choice and head over to YouTube, youtube.com slash ghpod and subscribe to the podcast there as well. We're trying to grow that channel and you can see all the video interviews with our previous guests. Also, reach out to Gerald on social media and tell him you enjoyed the podcast interview. Maybe there's something that you took away from it. Let him know that you uh, learned something from this show. I certainly loved talking to him and nerding out about cameras, about YouTube. So thanks again to Gerald for being on the podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Air Podcast, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>